This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. If you have your Bible, let's turn in it to John 13. John 13 is where we're going to be this morning. John 13 in your Bible. We're going to be in verses 34 and 35, just two verses. We'll be several other places in the scriptures this morning, but while you're turning there, let me just tell you, this is our last week in the Gospel People series. As we wrap this up, I just want to go back to where we began this series. So like your body has a circulatory system, that system keeps you alive. It, it delivers fresh oxygen and, and nutrients to your muscles and your organs and your brain. At the same time, that circulatory system is carrying away the things that are no longer beneficial to you. So a church, in the same way, has the same thing. There are things that will bring life. There are things that can circulate through us that will bring life and health and vitality to this body. And there are things that if left to circulate in this body, if allowed to continue to be around us or within us, will eventually cause us to atrophy and die. We need to have a certain kind of of blood circulating through our body, and it needs to be one filled with encouragement, confession of sin and forgiveness, love for one another. We have to do this. We have to, let's just say the first week was encouragement. We have to encourage each other. Folks, life is hard. Can I get an amen on that? Life is hard. Living by faith in Jesus is the best way to live. But that doesn't make it easy. So the writer of Hebrews says, meet together often and encourage each other. Now, I've been a Christian for a little over 20 years. The first six, seven years, like the first third of my Christian life, I was not tethered to a local church. And I had a friend challenge me on that. And by God's grace, I heard it, I understood, I repented, and I have been locked into a local church since that time. And I'm here to tell you my life, my faith, everything about me is better because of the local church. The church can be a life-giving, awesome group of people to be a part of. And it is for a lot of us, but I think we can also recognize that it it isn't for some people. I don't have to detail for you. We see it all over the news. The ways that the, the reputation of certain Christians has suffered in recent years. A lot of individual stories of sin and brokenness. People guilty of horrific things. And that's terrible. But I think what's even sadder still is how those things have hit the reputation of the whole church. It's not just on these men and women. It's on 
all those who call Christ Lord and Savior and, and gather in his name. And, and it's so sad because the church and the faith, Christianity, should work like this. It should work, and we should recognize that, that Jesus is the most loving person ever. That's where we start. Jesus is the most loving person ever. And so his followers, Christians, us, who know him and love him, we should love like him, the most loving person ever. And therefore, when people don't know Christ and they meet one of us, they shouldn't see something, they shouldn't hear something, they shouldn't read something that leads to a bad reputation. They should see and know and feel loved. That's what should happen. And when we're together, the absolute defining characteristic of our life together with one another should be love. Now, it isn't always that way. And you don't actually have to look too wide or far to see it. But I have a hope that we here, I have a great hope, in fact, because I know so many of you well, and I, and I love you. I have a great hope that we here can be the kind of church that loves other people and that reflects positively, graciously, gloriously on Christ, our Savior and our head. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do something that I hope is really convicting, but also really hopeful. We're going to look at some commandments that Christ gave about being a people of love. And I hope in the process of doing this, we're going to ask him to make us a more loving people. And I believe with everything that I am, that he's going to answer that prayer. And so if you have your Bible, John 13, we're going to read verses 34 and 35. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on an even page 900. Even page 900, John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I don't think there is a word used more frequently yet with a looser meaning than the word love. I love coffee, and I love cheeseburgers, and I love a good book, and I love my wife. You see what I mean? I can't mean the same thing when I say I love cheeseburgers and I love my wife. But we say it all the time. So Jesus is saying here that he loves us. And he's putting a premium on us loving one another. And so we better work toward a deeper understanding, a more precise understanding of what love is. And God is absolutely the person to go to for that because he is love 1 John 4, 16 says, God is love, 
And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So when it says that God is love, let's understand what that means, and even a little bit of what that does not mean. First, what it doesn't mean. To say that God is love does not mean that there is a definition outside of the person and work of God that God then needs to conform to. So the world often adopts a definition of love that says you can't make, you can't be loving if you make any judgments or get angry. And it's not even loving if you were going to tell somebody that there is a difference between right and wrong. And that's just simply not true. You can love somebody and make judgments. You can love somebody and be angry. You can love somebody and tell them they are wrong and that there is right. And this is an extreme example, but that's kind of the point. Let me just demonstrate this for you. There's a definition of love outside of the world's definition of love. Here's Here's my example. It's loving to be angry with people who hurt children because it's wrong to hurt children. See what I did there? I made a judgment, I got angry about something, and I declared that there is a right and wrong. And I am absolutely right. It is wrong to hurt children. So we, when we hear that God is love, the first thing that we recognize is there is not a definition of love that God needs to conform to that comes from the world. To say that God is love means that to truly understand love, we have to go back to God because God is its originator. God is the source of love. It, love starts with God. And we believe that love starts with God because it was present in him before the creation of the universe and love will endure long after this world and all the things of this world have been replaced by a better one. So this is one of the incredible realities of God. Theologically, what the Bible reveals about the nature of God is that he is triune. That means he is Father, we say, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is one God but he eternally exists in three distinct persons. And that ontological relationship within God, that that remains a mystery in many ways, but there's one thing, at least one thing, for our purposes here, that we can be absolutely clear about in the nature of the triune God. And that is that he, because he is Father, Son, and and, and Spirit, three persons, is able to express deep, true, uninterrupted love completely within himself. And he's been doing that forever. So the Father can perfectly love the Son, who's perfectly loving the Spirit, and back and forth it goes from the Spirit to the Son to the Father forever and ever and ever. What that also means is it's not out of a need for love, or a need to show love that God creates everything. He creates everything out of an overflow of love. You are here 
All this is here because God is love and everything after him, he's the original, everything after him is an expression of his love. So it's right and good for us to say that God is love and all he does is loving. So you're seeing the complexity of love here a little bit. It's defined in God, it flows out of him, but we still need to work toward good definitions of it. We will sell ourselves short if we look, though, anywhere else besides God. If we just look around the world and say, well, what what do people say that love is? What does the world say that love is? We will sell ourselves short if we use the world's parameters or definitions of love. So love starts with God. He was loving before he created the world, and he created us out of love. So we look to him to learn about love. So Jesus says here, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. How has Jesus loved us? If you go back and you read earlier verses in John chapter 13, what you will see is is Jesus and his closest disciples are gathering together for a special meal called the Passover. It's an ancient Jewish celebration, and what what it was meant to do was remind the people of God of long ago, when God showed his love for them by hearing their cries and delivering them from slavery in Egypt and bringing them up and leading them to a land where they could live at peace on their own. And so it was a meal that reminded them that God took them from a place of vulnerability and brought them into a place of safety. And as this meal begins... Jesus goes one by one and he washes his disciples' feet. It's an act of submission. When you always wear sandals and the roads you walk on are just packed dirt, your feet are constantly filthy. And so to wash someone's dirty feet was a job for the lowest level of servants. Yet here Jesus is doing it for those who follow him. Uh, years ago, I led mission trips for high school students, and we would, we would end the week by washing feet. And much of what we were doing on these trips, we'd bring students in for a week, and we were providing spaces, and we were teaching them how to be on mission for God, how to serve other people, how to love other people, how to share the hope that is ours in Christ. And the foot washing was the final lesson. But in us teaching them how to serve, we did not say, okay, now for your final lesson, you're going to wash our feet. Or even you're going to wash each other's feet. We washed their feet. So our team would wash the feet of the adults who brought these young people on this trip. And in turn, then the adults would wash the students' feet. And I'm not sure I can communicate adequately how powerful it is to watch a 65 or 70-year-old man with bad knees bend down to wash the feet of some kid who like two hours before that had just given him a bunch of lip and attitude. 
but I've seen it. And it wrecks you. And this is the picture that Jesus grounds the love of God in. Jesus loves his people through sacrifice. The cross is the ultimate act of God. And God is love. The cross is the ultimate act of love. Jesus wasn't just loving. He was love personified. And death on the cross was not just a loving thing to do. It was and it remains the essence of holy love. So Jesus loved you through suffering and death. And some of his last words before he died were, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. There has never been anything so gentle yet so ferocious at the same time. And that's how Jesus loves us. So how do, we, how do we love each other that way? We sing a song sometimes. There's a song by the great hymn writer Isaac Watts. I think he was on to something. His hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, the last line of that hymn says, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So if you're hearing this wondering, how can I be just a little more loving? Or maybe how can I look for a couple of little extra loving things to do this week? I don't think you're quite getting it yet. Love this amazing, love this divine only works if we're all in. The command is love one another, not moderately, not when other people have done well and kind of deserve a little love. Not, can I get a little help from my friends? But just as Christ loved you. How did he love you? He died for you. He gave himself up for you. And when you rejected him, he was patient and gentle and gracious to you. You, you and I are, are going to hear these words about sacrificial, the sacrificial love of God right now. We're hearing them right now. And later today, you're not going to make it through the rest of the day without doing something selfish. And you know what Christ is going to do with that later today? He will forgive you. And he will tell you he still wants you to come. And when you do it, Again tomorrow, and again the day after that, he will never stop loving you. In the cross, we should see the extent to which God has gone to love us, but we should not make the mistake of thinking that the cross was the last thing that God would do to love us. Jesus shows love for us daily, 1 John 2, 1. But if anyone does sin, 
we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous. As if the cross wasn't enough, Jesus the Son is still going before the Father on our behalf daily that we might be known as righteous. Friends, that is love. He died for you, and he always lives, Hebrews 7 says, to make intercession for you. That's love. So amazing, so divine. You can't go halfway on that. So we're to love one another like Christ has loved us. Some measure in that same way. In fact, we're commanded to. Did you notice that? Jesus says this is a new commandment. In what way, what way is it new? The Old Testament has what's called the great commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It sounds like we should do a lot of loving. The second greatest commandment, even Jesus called this the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's straight out of Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. Those books were written 13, 1400 years before Jesus was born. So how can we say this is a new commandment? Well, Jesus doesn't mean that these things were were new like, like no one had ever said them before. Their newness was in how they were to become the trademark of the new covenant that he was establishing. He was bringing in a new covenant. There was an old covenant. And the old covenant included love for others. But it's law, it's defining feature, was sacrifice. But not sacrificial love like like Jesus made, actual sacrifice. So under the old law, when the covenant was broken, a sacrifice was necessary to atone for the sins of the people. And that's what marked the covenant. Sin was made, so law was broken. A sacrifice was necessary for atonement. And so there, were, there was a system. There was a ritual sacrificing animals in place of human sin to make atonement. And that was the defining mark of the old covenant. When you break the law, you make a sacrifice. When Jesus went to the cross, sin was atoned for once and for all. And his atonement wasn't made selfishly to avoid punishment. It was made sacrificially motivated by love. And so now, as followers of Jesus, we're free to love. Because we don't have to worry about sacrifice. We don't have to worry about taking care of our sins. The sacrifice has been made. Instead of living in in fear and doubt of of what we will do and and what we've done and and how we're supposed to pay for it and how we can make it right, we live in, in freedom under grace, knowing that we will do many things to break the covenant. But Jesus has paid for all of it. And so now we can love like him, free of the burden of sin, free of the fear of rejection, because of failure. And we can be open to doing things that love. We can be open into the work of loving other people. Do you see how that works? Formerly, people had to wonder 
had to ask, had to make their, their most specific work of faith, how do I atone for my sin? Now, we can live in the grace and under the confidence that our sin has been atoned for. So our work of faith can be, how do I love other people the way that Christ has loved me? So how specifically do we love each other? I've got five ways. Five ways. Number one, we accept each other. Last week, we read this, Romans 15, 7. Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So that, that word for accept, we, we studied this all last week, really draws out the initiating love of God who loved us when we seemed utterly unlovable. There are bound to be people. When you hear love others, that you think, man, that's easy for me. I like that person. It's easy for me to like them. And I get along with them and I connect with them. And there will be people for you who are much harder. The love of Christ compels us to love the people that are easy for us and to work hard at loving the people who aren't. And if you need that motivation for that, remember that there, just like there are people that are hard for you to love, you may very well be hard for somebody else to love, and they're working at loving you. So work at loving other people. They're going to make the effort. So should you. Number two. So number one, we accept each other. Number two, we serve one another. Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Love looks around. And instead of saying, what do I deserve? What do I need? What can I take? says, what can I give and how can I bless somebody else? Simple as that. Walk in here, walk into a coffee date, pray and ask God, what can I give? How can I bless somebody else? Number three, we speak the truth to one another. Speak the truth to one another. Ephesians four fifteen. Rather, speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up into him in every way. So if, if truth in love is our highway, here's what it looks like. Our highway, truth in love, is two lanes, and it's going in both directions. In one lane... Guys, the left lane is the fast lane. If you go slow in the left lane, change the way that you drive on the highway. That one's for free. The left lane, the fast lane, is encouragement. Every single person in here will be well served by a friend who reminds them that they are loved by God and others this morning. We can never go too fast or too far or do too much encouraging one another. So make that the fast lane. 
the right lane, the slow lane, because we should do this more slowly, but we should still do it, is that when there is love between Christian friends, we need to be willing to tell the truth to others when they have failed. It ultimately lacks love if you're unwilling to comfort, to confront rather, not comfort. It ultimately lacks love if you're unwilling to confront the harmful behavior of a friend. If we're to love like Christ loved, he addressed sin. He called out hypocrisy. It can and it should be done. But when you do it, remember Galatians 6.1, if you see someone caught in sin, seek to restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. And remember, our highway is not a one-way road. This goes both ways. Everybody encouraging everybody. Everybody looking out for the good of everyone else. Every day, hope that you will be encouraged by somebody, and every day, fulfill that proclamation by encouraging somebody else. Let's go both ways on this. Number one, accept each other. Number two, serve one another. Number three, speak the truth in love. Sorry, um, yeah, speak the truth and love to one another. Number four, pray for each other. Pray for each other. Uh, this is here for two simple reasons. First, if you love someone a lot, it will be a great joy for you to pray for them. Second, if you find it really challenging to love someone, pray for them. I guarantee you, you will find it more and more difficult to dislike someone you are praying for on a regular basis. Number five, last one. We keep looking for more and more ways to love each other. We don't get a small list and then stop. So number five is like just keep adding to the list. I love what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church. We give thanks to God because of the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Could anything better ever be said about our church. That group at our Savior, I praise God because the love that every person has for one another is increasing. I don't think you could give our fellowship in Christ a higher compliment than that we are constantly growing in love for one another. And Jesus says that if we are that way, we will know we are, people will know we are his disciples. There's a lot of things that people do to identify themselves as Christians. You know, they get bumper stickers or tattoos or they get t-shirts, post a little, you know, coffee and Bible pic on Instagram. I know this one guy who would switch, when he would ride in people's cars, he would switch their radio presets to Christian stations. I'm not against any of that. I mean, the, the preset thing, that, the radio thing, that's kind of weird, but whatever. But Jesus never says, they will know you are my disciples by their tattoos or by their social media. He says, people will know they are my disciples by their love. 
That's how people will know that we are his. If we love one another just as he has loved us. We love because he is love first. He defines love. He loves us to the uttermost. And he calls us to love each other. Let's pray. God of love, thank you that you have loved us with an unending love, patient, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And may we grow with that kind of love for you, for each other, forever. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.